1: Welcome to the podcast, and today my guest is Matthew Rosenthal with Rosenthal-Meyer PLLC. How are you doing today, Matt? I'm doing great. How are you? I'm doing well. Thanks for joining us. So uh, what made you uh, pursue a career as being an attorney?
0: Well, uh, that was an interesting one. It actually wasn't uh, up there on my first choices. Actually, originally I wanted to be in sports, uh, and I worked for... Um, a minor league baseball team for a couple of years and then decided to go into law to do that. Uh, But then when I got to law school, I ended up liking a lot of different areas and decided to just, you know, do something uh, a little different than just sports.
1: Right. So what, I mean, kind of what got you where you're at now? Um, what, What kind of drove you into, you know, what you're doing in law and, and, um, you know, becoming, becoming your own your own boss and, and doing what you're doing?
0: So out of law school, I worked for a Wounded Warrior Project, which is uh, a charity that uh, assists uh, veterans. And I worked in their legal department for a couple of years. And so I gained this appreciation for helping people. And so when I came out of doing that, um, I had some experience along the way, uh, before I opened up my own company, uh, and then decided that when it was time to open up for myself, that the best thing I could do is pick practice areas that were actually going to help people. And so that's why we went into estate planning, business law, probate, the areas that we cover are areas that are designed to protect people before something bad happens so that you're protected afterwards.
1: So, you know, you mentioned, um, you know, estate and and probate um, in that. I mean, so do you guys uh, sit with people ahead of time and uh, create trust for them? Um, You know, kind of where where are you guys in that process?
0: Yeah, so so there's the estate planning process is the pre-death process. And we sit down with our clients and we develop uh, plans based around their family, their lifestyle, their assets. And so that can include just going with, you know, a will and doing what's called advanced directives, which are documents like the power of the attorney, healthcare, surrogate living will, which are ancillary documents to the will or the trust, but they assist the client during their lifetime. Should they become incapacitated in some fashion and need somebody to assist them while they're still living. And then we have the will for when you pass away and if you pass away with a will or without a will and or no documents, uh, you go through the probate process, which is the court process when you pass away for a court to oversee who gets your assets, uh, the final payouts of any expenses that you have. And then for some people, we also put trusts into place. There are a dozen different types of trusts that you could put into place but generally speaking for the vast majority of individuals we would put together what's called a revocable living trust. And that is a trust document that allows them to pass their assets after they pass away. But it's also a document that lives and grows with them. So they are able to add assets to it through their lifetime. There's some protections that we could put in there for, let's say on the first death of a spouse to protect second spouse there's a lot of different things we can do there that we can't necessarily do in a will. And so for some families, that's the better option. Okay.
1: So you talked about, you know, having power of attorney and I know, uh, you know, lots of times, you know, when I'm preparing taxes for people and so forth, you know, they, we, we talk about the, um, you know, power of attorney and everything. I guess explain the difference when, you know, with the power of attorney before someone dies and is that power of attorney any good after someone dies and and how does that work?
0: Right. So the power of attorney ends at death. So it is not good after somebody dies. The difference within the, between the States uh, are that some powers of attorney are effective immediately upon signing and a state like Florida and New York, which is where we practice are durable meaning they take effect at the moment that you sign them there are other states that their power of attorneys are called springing powers of attorney meaning there needs to be some sort of event that occurs before the power of attorney becomes effective it's all signed before but there's an event that takes place before you can use it here in florida when, when our clients sign the power of attorney it's good They can hand it over to that person that they gave the power to and they can take it to the bank. That person can take everything out of the bank account if
1: they want. So it's good right away. But now you said that it, that it ends upon death.
0: Yes, it it ends upon death. And that's when the will or the trust would take over uh, after death. The trust could take over during your lifetime as well, depending on if you put the assets in there. Um, But at death, the powers of attorney stop any document Power of attorney, healthcare powers, all those things—they stop when you die.
1: Okay, so the, but the the power of attorney does that does that handle just finances? Does that help help um, handle any um, you know uh, you know living um, directives or anything like that, or is that a a totally separate document?
0: So the the power of attorney handles financial and management decision making. So things like that are buying and selling a house, having access to um, a bank account, opening a safe or opening or closing a safe deposit box on the back on the home. It could also be renting out the home. It could even be transferring assets into somebody's trust. But it all has to do with finance and day to day management of somebody's life. When it comes to making healthcare decisions, that's a separate document. And that is the healthcare surrogate, is what we call it here in Florida. Uh, and that's the document where you name a proxy or somebody else to uh, make a decision for you should you not be able to make a decision.
1: Okay. So you know very complicated when, when dealing with a lot a lot of this, because I know um, in my dealings with a lot of uh, of our clients are very confused about all this. What are some of the questions that, you know, clients, prospective clients aren't asking you that you really wish they were asking um, when, when they start into this process?
0: The big question is, how do I get started?
1: <laughs> That's,
0: right. uh, that, I mean, it's funny, but it's one of the things that there are a lot of myths out there about the estate planning process and the fact that we call it estate planning and people say, well, I don't have an estate. What do I need to plan for? So it getting them to getting people to understand that when we say estate, what we really mean is what do you have today that you want to pass to somebody else when you pass away? That's an estate, whether it's just a few dollars in jewelry or you have however much you have. It's all part of your estate. And even minor children we consider as part of the estate because if you have minor children, you have to name people who are going to care for them should something happen to you. So it's all, that's all part of the process. And so a lot of people shy away from doing any sort of estate planning because they think it doesn't. it's not for them. It's for the ultra wealthy and nobody else. But that's just not necessarily true. So if people will just say, how do I get started in this process? Uh, tell me about what documents might work for me then we can start the process. And if it's something that is you know, too expensive for somebody or whatnot, there are options out there for everybody to be able to have some sort of plan put into place so that they can make sure that whatever they have worked for throughout their lives, whatever they're trying to grow, they could pass down to the who they want to and not leave it up to the state to make that decision for them.
1: So what are the, um, some of the common mistakes that you, that you see people making when it comes to estate planning?
0: So some of the mistakes, um, one of the mistakes that people make is naming just somebody to do something. So, for example, naming your sister to be the guardian of your child just because she's the closest family you have. Well, yeah maybe there's a level of trust factor there but what if your sister's not the best with children what if you haven't spoken to her and she has no, she just doesn't want your children if something were to happen to you basically what i'm trying to get at is that it is not always the closest person to you that is the right person to be able to to do certain things but let's say your sister is the best person to care for your child does that also necessarily mean that your sister's the best person to have access to all of the finances for the children? Maybe she's just not good with money. Well, we can split these roles. Your sister can care for the children and somebody else, another sibling, a friend can actually manage the money and therefore keep it separate so that there's no overspending by the person that is actually caring for the child. If there's a lack of trust in the financial sense there, or if it's just somebody that you don't think is going to make the best, the best or most wise financial decisions when it comes to investing that money, so that it lasts as long as possible for your children. So that's one of the issues that we deal with: is that who do we actually name to be in charge of different things?
1: What What do I? You know, what about if somebody? Because I know that I have have clients with this that this has happened. You know, um, you know, older couple and Originally, the the son they named is the executor of everything, but then they become kind of estranged with the son. Um, How difficult is it to to change something like this?
0: So it's not difficult. And each attorney will charge differently for making this sort of change. Um, But essentially, it is just amending the document or doing a new one, depending on which document it is both wills and trusts we can amend and when we amend a will we call it a codicil when we amend a trust it's an amendment but they're relatively simple especially if all we're doing is changing out names but other documents like the power of attorney we would just do a new one
1: okay how often would you recommend after someone establishes you know this trust or this will document? How often um, do you think that they should meet with their attorney to to go over this? So every
0: situation is going to be different, but at minimum, you should be looking at your documents every three years just to make sure. It's more advisable to actually sit down with an attorney every year, but at least every three years is good. But the times that you really are going to want to make changes is uh, is on different life events. Okay. The birth of somebody, the death of somebody, the marriage, the purchase of a large asset. Those are the times that you're going to want to make sure that the plan that you put in place is still the plan that's going to work for this new situation that we have.
1: So what are some of the biggest fears that are um, concerns that your clients have? Um, and how have you addressed those?
0: So one of the big concerns that our clients have, especially when they have younger children, is if I'm putting this money aside for my child and I'm not here anymore and down the line they get married and then they get divorced, will the divorcing spouse be able to get a hold of the assets that I've worked my life for for my child? And so, in these type of situations, a trust is a great thing to be put, to put into place. Because with the trust, we can put in language into there where the money actually will stay in the trust, and therefore, no spouse can attach themselves to the, tr- to the money that's in the trust. Now, I can't protect the money once it leaves the trust and goes to the hands of the kids. Then it's up to them and whatever they want to do. But while the money is held in trust, we can put protections in there so that in a divorce, the spouse can't get a hold of anything, so that creditors can't get a hold of anything. Um, So there's a lot of things we can do when we work within the the trust confines to protect uh, our clients.
1: That's great. That was definitely a great question that they would would have. What about um, with the portability rules? Um, I know I talk with people and lots of times they're like, oh, I'm never going to be over what that limit is right now um how do you feel about still filing the portability no matter if you think you're going to be over the limit or not so in my opinion portability is
0: is just something we do at the you know when we do it but it's not a substitute to to going through the estate planning process so currently the estate tax exemption is about 11.4 million dollars per person so if you're married. You can port over the other person's 11.4 when they pass away, giving you a total of about $22.8 million you can pass away with before taxes are incurred on any assets that you pass. Um, in 2026, if nothing is done, that the current estate tax will, uh, will actually go back and revert back to the pre-2019 levels, um, which at the time was $5.4 million per person. But there'll be a cost of inflation increase. We just I just don't know exactly what that'll be until it happens. Right. So, well, we we're estimating. I'm estimating that it'll probably be in the in the six million range per person at the time when it reverts back if nothing is done. So that means that if clients who now are are not over because of the levels they are today, they could possibly be over tomorrow if we're not careful with our planning. And so. What I would say to those clients is we don't have to tax plan today because right. right now there's no taxes if you pass. But come 2025 or the end coming towards the end of 2026 and nothing has changed and we know it's gonna go back, and combined you you you're gonna have thirteen million dollars. Now we have to start talking about how do we protect that extra money from incurring taxes when you pass away
1: right so i mean obviously we're talking through a lot of a lot of things that uh moving pieces and and things like that 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 are very important um and you having knowledge of that and and working with somebody obviously is important but in your words i mean what is it um that you can say why somebody should use a professional like you in dealing with their estate or you know after death with probate
0: so people should come see an attorney because what our job is not just to take your facts and just throw it down on paper what we do is we really sit down with you and we go through the process and find out exactly what your life is like today what you want it to be later on and then what would you like to happen afterwards after you pass away a lot of you know a lot of people might say well you're just filling out a form aren't you no we're we're not we're because yes a lot of the paragraphs that we use if it's the same paragraph yes we're going to reuse the same paragraph but the plan itself and the things that we actually put into that plan and the way we design it and and everything that goes into it is going to be case specific on your situation not no one client of mine has the exact same plan as another client. So when they come in, yeah, if I'm putting in a, a spendthrift provision, so, so a level of creditor protection into one client's trust, I'm putting them in, it into all the clients trust. So yeah, that paragraph will be the same in everybody's trust. Mm-hmm. But when it comes down to actually what's going to happen with the assets, who's it going to, Uh, How long is it staying in trust any tax uh, thing anything tax wise that we're trying to protect against that's all going to be based on the client their situation and everything from having a trust that go just sends everything outright to the kids after you pass away to having a dynasty trust which will last generations. It it just, it's going to depend on your situation and not everybody is the same. And so that's why we sit down, you want to sit down with an attorney who will actually go through and listen to your situation so that they can plan what's right for you and not what's right for everybody.
1: So what are you finding right now is your, your biggest challenge? Well, during
0: COVID, our biggest challenge is, is, is getting people into the office to sign their plans. So in some states have allowed for online notarization, Uh, Florida actually does as of July 1st this year, but do I want my clients to be the test case uh, for the first online notarization? No, not really. Um, I'd rather let it go a little bit before we actually start doing everything online. So, what we're doing now is we're holding all our regular meetings, all our consultations through Zoom and other platforms like that. And then we have the clients coming into our office to sign the documents. And we're spreading clients out. We're cleaning in between. We're giving them pens to take home or t- or throw away. Everybody's wearing masks. That's so we're we're keeping it as safe as we possibly can, so that the clients can come in, sign their documents, and then. Have everything ready, executed, and good to go. So, if the worst case was to happen, they're protective.
1: So, besides the, the COVID 19 stuff, what do you you know? What other challenges are you finding uh, that that you guys are facing now?
0: So, one of the big challenges that um, I think any estate planning attorney faces is wearing competition with companies like LegalZoom who provide our service for a much less price because you could just go on and click and buy. Mm -hmm. And it kind of goes back to what I was talking about before is that going through that process with LegalZoom compared to an attorney is just not the same. The biggest issue that I have with clients or people that go through with LegalZoom is that you're telling LegalZoom what you want Right. You're not, but you, instead of having sitting down with an attorney and evaluating what you really need, and getting what you need as opposed to what you want, a lot of clients come into us and say, "I want a trust because my friend has one and told me it's the greatest thing ever," or "I need a will because of this and that." Well, every situation is different. There might be a reason why your friend has a trust and why you don't need one. And if you just go ahead and get it online, you just don't know if it's going to work for you the way it's you want it to work for you. Right. And then the second thing that we, and, and and almost an even more important thing that we have and issues that we run uh, run into is that people that go on and get the documents online, uh, a lot of the times fail to sign them properly. So you're paying, yeah, less to just to go on online, but you didn't execute the document properly and therefore it's not even good to use. So yeah, you may have spent less, but now it's gonna cost your family more because you have no documents at all now.
1: Yeah, we laugh as you say that just because we run into that all the time with people. Uh, yeah, they try to use one of the, the online services to prepare their taxes and especially the ones trying to prepare business taxes because again, they're, they're answering questions that they really don't know how to answer. Um, and there's just so much stuff that they, that they just leave out there, um, you know, that they don't get to deduct or in your case, you know, they're, they're checking a box and they're not even sure why they're checking the box. Um, yeah. so, you know, I definitely, definitely agree with you that that's, um, you know, w- with so much stuff with society and through gratification, and everything else, everybody's trying to go online to do everything. And that's not always the, the smart way to do things. Um, tell me what are, uh, some of the important things that you've learned since you you know, started out on your own? I've learned how to
0: market, <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, uh, start, you know, when you work for a company or another law firm, uh, you don't necessarily do a lot of marketing. Um, and so one of the things that, you know, I've had to learn to do over time is get out there and network. And that is the um, the best source of, of clients for us is getting out there and meeting other people that will that I'll build relationships with and then will send me clients because there's a level of trust built into that referral that you don't get from just finding somebody on Google or Facebook.
1: Right. Uh,
0: other things that I've had to learn is just kind of just juggling you know, the practice areas and working with the clients with running a business because, you know, one day I might have, you know, spoken to two clients, but then also have to do the books for the month and then have to speak to the accountant. And then I have to do all these other things and buy supplies and this and that. And then all of a sudden, Oh, that's right. I did speak to two clients. I have to remember to get those engagement letters out, you know, and it's already the end of the day. So it's just running the practice. Uh, while also practicing.
1: Right. Yeah, that's how everybody always thinks it's like, oh, you own a business, so that's easy. And it's right. just like, yeah, it's, uh, there's a lot, lot to it, that's for sure. Yeah, we, we
0: wear all the hats.
1: Right, right. What, um, so tell me what your ideal client looks like.
0: So my ideal client is a family, whether that's a, an individual or a couple that has minor children and they are looking to grow. And they're in the, not necessarily beginning portions of their career, but they're not midway and up and they're, you know, they're making good money or they're about to, and they really just want to put a plan into place that is now going to grow with them over time. And that way I can introduce them to, if they don't already have the financial advisor and the CPA that they need to also be working with. So that way, they have a team going forward to help them increase their assets and protect themselves as fully as they possibly can going, going through
1: I'm glad to hear you say that. I mean, you know, that you're, that you're looking at the team approach. Cause I know that's what, what we do a lot. And we look at it, that we're the quarterback and we try to pull in uh, the other people, the team, because I know so many clients. Okay. I just want one place to go to, well, not everybody, you know, you can't, you, you don't want somebody who's a jack of all trades. Right. Because um, usually something falls between the cracks in there. So if, you know, um, you know what would the first steps be if somebody um, was this type of an ideal client for you? What would the first steps you would like to see them take?
0: So the first step is that they send us an email or give us a call. Uh, we briefly speak to them over the phone. Um, get an idea of their situation right off the bat, then we will email over a, an intake form and that is the best way to get started is to fill out the intake form and our intake form is rather long. Um, but it doesn't not every section applies to everybody and when they and some people say this is like 20 pages long. We'll go through it. Not everything's going to apply. Right. But it's going to walk you through and what it is designed to do is it's designed to help you make decisions that we're going to need for our documents along the line, but it also helps you go through your assets and really look at them and sometimes in some circumstances find them. Um, A lot of times, you know, people don't realize or they forgot that they had this asset sitting there or they don't recall what bank account it is or what's in the bank account or where this asset's located. And our document is our intake form is designed to help them walk through and find it. That way we have a record of it. They have a record of it. Then what we do is then we'll schedule the consultation. We will go through the intake form and discuss the actual planning and what we want to actually accomplish. From that point on, there could be another meeting in between to finalize plans, but otherwise we schedule the signing for them to come. We prepare the documents. Then we either will review the documents with the clients ahead of time, which is more what we're doing today or what, I was doing before all this we actually review the documents um and that's an attorney reviewing the documents with the client at their signing where we go through every page make sure they understand everything that's in there make any changes that the clients may have forgotten to let us know um, if necessary um and then sign the documents and then what we provide afterwards after that is that we have an online secure portal where the clients have access to their documents. So we'll upload the final versions of the documents to the portal. And then we'll also put all the originals and binders, and then the clients will either come pick the binders up or we'll ship the binders to the clients. So they'll keep their originals, and then we keep all the copies online so that they can download at their leisure and email off to whomever it needs to be sent to.
1: So, uh, is there anything like, that you would like to share that I haven't asked about you or, or about your firm?
0: Um, I guess uh, you can find us at uh, rosenthalmeyer.com. Uh, and our phone number is 407 504 9725. We're licensed in Florida, New York, and New Jersey. Um, and that's it, I think.
1: All right. Um, I appreciate you coming and joining us today. Um, This has been Matthew Rosenthal with Rosenthal Meyer LLC. And thank you for joining us today.
0: Thank you for having me. This show has been produced by Market Domination, LLC.